Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 4. We read in verses 4 through 9. Paul writes these words to this church. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together for our pastor. Lord God, as Pastor Mike comes to share uh, his sermon this morning, Lord, we know that you have given him the words to speak. And God, we are thankful and grateful that he had a a week to to be with family and to relax and to be uh, refreshed and renewed. And we pray, Lord, that time was fruitful to him. But we ask, Lord, today that as he comes to share these words, that you would stir up a fire in his heart, ready to just empower all of us by the interpretation of these words given so long ago to the Apostle Paul. Lord, grant all of us ears to hear, Lord. Those of us who are preparing to walk across the stage or those of us who are preparing to finish a project or whatever we might do, Lord, as we transition from one thing to the next, God, we all graduate from something. And God, you have given Mike a message to share. So Lord, bless Pastor as he comes today and give us ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. here with you this morning. As we uh, go towards the time of sermon, I do want to remind you of some things that are, or actually just one thing that's going on. Um, We are pointing our faces forward towards a day of prayer in this church. It's going to happen June 2nd at the service that you normally come to, regardless of which service that is. Um, It is important for a church from time to time, especially a church that's been around for 170 plus years, uh, to reconnoiter itself, to really look to where God would have us be, and, and to really listen to the Lord, because it also gives us the opportunity to let the Spirit just flow upon us and get excited about something, because when, you know, when we're adults, we every once in a while need a really a new vision, a new place to go. So, so, so come to that day of prayer, and during that week of prayer, which is June, 9th to June, or June 2nd to June 9th, uh, there's going to be home groups every day. Uh, during that week, and there's sign-up sheets formed back there. They're on the aforementioned website that, key, uh, that uh, uh, Chris said early, earlier today, too. But sign up, come to a home group, or come to the group that, that's meeting that Wednesday night at the church, and just be in prayer for the church of Jesus Christ that we know as First United Methodist Church. Uh, down the road, there's a day of visioning coming and a day of discernment, uh, but we shan't go to that without good preparation, so I hope that you'll come uh, to that. So, um, graduation weekend. So happy graduation to all of you that might have be graduating or that are uh, graduating. It's with uh, pride and celebration that we uh, watch you flip your tassels in, in the next few few days. And so I want to take just a minute as we begin on kind of our baccalaureate service to, to just rejoice. Um, we have students in our congregation graduating from 
Marion High, Linmar, Cedar Rapids Jefferson, Albernat, Kono Christian Academy, Cedar Rapids Prairie, and Cedar Rapids Washington this year. And so I, I want to talk to all of them, and I want you to listen in. Because when you graduate, as Pastor Keith said in, in, in his prayer, we graduate from something. I, I don't know how it is at your school, but one of the most exciting things I was excited to graduate from was school lunch. Never again did I have to get food in a tray if I didn't want to. It was awesome. And I also know that your, your parents are, are grad, grateful in a lot, a lot of ways because you're also graduating from high school parking lots. And if you go to certain high schools, you're graduating from high school parking lot tickets, Right? Now, you may not know this, but parents that pay car insurance know this. A Marion police officer told me about four years ago, the three most likely places to have an accident in Marion. This is a true fact. Number one, south entrance to the Linmar High School parking lot. Number two, the entrance to the Marion High School parking lot. Number three, the north entrance to Linmar High School parking lot. So you are graduating from all of those things and some other things. You're graduating from some really great experiences. You're graduating for some, from some friends, some activities, some teams, some opportunities, and some accomplishments uh, to cherish. So we rejoice with you as you graduate from uh, your high school and, and, or some of you are graduating from college as well. But if you graduate from something, you're also graduating to something or at least towards something. You know, we could be, you know, uh, you know, we could be, you know, difficult and say, well, you're graduating. Congratulations, you graduate from high school. Now you've graduated towards old age, taxes, and ultimate death. That would be one way to go with this talk. Not uplifting though, right, Beth? But we graduate towards something else. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, there's three points of focus towards which graduates graduate. And I want to talk about those three points of focus. First point of focus is the opportunity to experience life to its fullest. Second is the freedom to become who God wants you to believe. And third is that you get to become accountable for yourself. So first, let's, let's focus on that first one, the opportunity to experience life in its fullest. There are two great qualities of the Christian life that are laid out in Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Joy and gentleness. Now let's just talk about joy for a moment. Remember when you were little kids? I'm not just talking about the graduates. I'm talking about everybody. Somewhere along your line, either on a video or in a church basement or in a Sunday school classroom, or maybe at your parents' knee, you were taught the song, I have the joy, 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 down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart to what? To stay. It, it was implied to us by those teachers when we were children that joy was going to come into our hearts and stay in our hearts. And I want to talk about the joy that stay, stays because you might have not found that it's typical for joy to stay in the world. I mean, sometimes we think what we have is joy and then the car crashes and that joy runs away. Sometimes we think we have joy and the relationship ends and that joy runs away. Sometimes we think we have joy and the game is lost or the contest is lost and that joy runs, runs away. But joy is not, let me tell you, the attitude of the world in which we find ourselves. As a matter of fact, those of you that have graduated into life and that are graduating to it as you graduate from high school, understand that joy is not the attitude of the world. As a matter of fact, the world shuns joy. It runs from joy. It pushes joy to the outer limits because it prefers criticism and critique. It's, it actually enjoys seriousness. 
I, I was in a, a little school, a little elementary school a handful of years ago, and the fourth graders were lining up to go to lunch. In fourth grade, you're still excited about school lunch, okay? And they were lined up in the hallways, and it was announced to them that it was fish stick day. One of the little girls in the fourth grade just loved fish sticks, and she couldn't contain it, so she went, oh, fish sticks! And she did that little kid clap. You know, that hands in front of you, that you're just totally, fully, and completely excited. That, that the joy that's within you is just pouring out because it's fish stick day, and you're so happy. And I remember watching the joy being just pulled out of that child by the boys that were standing there by her in line because she was just like, oh, it's fish stick day. And they looked at her like, seriously? Really? What are you, like a baby, you know? And that's the way the world is, guys. That momentary joy, that happy, happy kind of joy, it's shunned. It's shunned. I mean, we like to be happy, and we love to have joy. But I tell you, you can't depend on the joy that just comes by because you're going to find out that things aren't perfect. The world's not perfect. perfect. And I'm going to tell you here that the opportunity to find joy that you have to claim is actually in the brokenness. And the brokenness of the world is where you have to find your, your, your joy. Because, see, our inner attitudes don't always need to reflect our outer situations, what's going on around us. It is simply true in our lives that, that, that there are some certainties about the adult life. There are certainties in the fact that you can become who you want to become, but it's also certainty in the fact that eventually it leads to some difficulties because human life is always filled with difficulties and, and those kind of things are always at hand. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that I really want to teach you as a congregation. Here's the thing that I really want you to understand as a human being that's graduating to something. Christian joy is independent of all the things on earth, which is to say also, conversely, that Christian joy is not dependent upon the things that are going on around you. Christian joy is a quantity in and of itself, that comes to you from Jesus Christ himself. The sky may fall. The world may come apart. The relationship that you're so, you know, wanting may fall apart. And yet, your life can still be centered on joy. If your joy has, as its source, the presence of Jesus Christ as your Lord. That is a joy you cannot lose. It's a joy that can't be taken away from you. See, the Christian can never lose their joy because we can never lose Christ. Do you understand that? See, see, once Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, He is yours and you're His, and you cannot lose that in your life at all. And, and that's why Paul in his message says, look, I've thought of everything. I've thought of everything that can possibly happen. I've thought of great things. I've thought of bad things. I've thought of all of my life. I've thought of your life. And I've thought of everything that can possibly happen. And I still say it again. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice. Rejoice. You see, your opportunity in life, my life, your life, is to cling to Christ. Is to, to, to have joy in our spirit all the time. And I will say, you know, kind of like the little girl that clapped our hands, the unfortunate nature of our lives is joy can't always be seen. I, I once talked to a, a friend that comes to our church and he says, you know, if you look at me and I'm not smiling, it doesn't mean that my heart's not happy. I just have a serious countenance. You can't always see the joy. But as Paul says, what you can see is the gentleness. 
You can see gentleness. You can see actions. And I know that, you know, I've been around a lot of guys in my life, and they say, listen, I don't want to be gentle. Gentle's not a macho thing. I want to be tough. I want to be rough. I want to go on some reality show that pans for gold or gets oil in our backyard in Hillbilly Land or something like that. I don't know. Have you seen some of this stuff? Have some discipline. Turn it off. Anyway, uh, sorry. (laughs) Can I get an amen? All right, good. All right. But see, when I talk about gentleness here, fellas and ladies, I'm not talking about, you know, the the huffy, oh, be sweet and nice to everybody. That's not what I mean. I'm talking about this word gentleness that's in the scripture. And the word gentleness that you find in the New uh, International Version that we read in in our church is actually a word that's very difficult to translate from the original Greek. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I'll let our seminaries, seminarians do that for you. But, but trust me on this because it's on the internet. So this is true. <laughs> the Greek word that's used here that we've interpreted gentleness means this. Justice. And something that's better than justice. And so when you're graduating from high school, when you're graduating into life, really what Paul is asking you to offer to someone is justice and something beyond justice. Now, there are times in our lives, and and I don't like to say this is true as a parent sometimes, but there are times in our lives where rules and regulation might not be the last word. There are times when, when we have to open our hearts to people as the Lord opened his heart to people. And the Lord is the, the author of justice. See, when we look at gentleness and a justice beyond justice, what, what, I, what I mean is this. We all deserve condemnation. But fortunately, God goes beyond condemnation, doesn't he? We all deserve condemnation, but we go, I mean, think about this. You high school students, do you really want justice for what you deserve? Do you really want to get what you deserve for every click you've made on your smartphone or your internet mouse? for every thought that you've had about the teachers that are teaching your class, for every word that you've said about the boys and the girls, for everything that you do, men, women, do you really want justice? Or or do we want something beyond what we deserve? You see, our God goes far beyond justice, and I call you as people, men and women of his, to go beyond justice as well. See, there's a story in the scriptures where there's a woman, she's charged with adultery. It's, there's no question about it. In, in Jesus' time, the punishment for adultery of a woman was to stone her to death. And so they wanted to line her up by the wall, and, and, and everyone gathered around, and they were asking Jesus, should we stone her? She's guilty of adultery. And Jesus just looks at him and says, look, if you don't have any sin in your life, go ahead, pick up a rock and start pelting away. Because you're right, the rule is she should die. But you know what happened? One by one, the more mature in the audience, the more mature in the group, the ones that had some miles on their tires in life, put the rocks down, and they walked away because God was offering here something that is justice beyond justice. This is not, understand me, this, this is what it's not. It's not permission to do whatever you want. What it is is instruction that the Christian is willing to go beyond justice. The, the Christian is being, willing to go beyond justice, oftentimes to grace and love. You see, the mark of a Christian is that in their personal relationship with others, we must know when and when not to insist on justice. Both are sometimes appropriate. But the Christian has to have the discernment. And when you graduate to something, 
part of that in gentleness and joy, those qualities, means you have to be willing to do that. Now, the second thing you graduate, if you graduate towards the opportunity to do, to, 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 to do whatever you want to do in life, you also graduate to freedom. Freedom to become who God wants you to be. Now, this is not a motivational speech. This is a sermon. So help me, let me help you understand this. When you are offered freedom, there is a problem. And many of you have this problem. I know this because I've been here for a little while. I was telling Keith today, I think I've been here about 500 Sundays. I'm starting to know my way around the church. Okay? Don't play me in hide and go seek. I will win. All right? Some of you go hide, Pastor. Let's find out. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. But see, the problem is, for many of you, life is bound to worrying. It's tied to worrying, isn't it? I'm just going to a little show of hands. It can just be the Methodist off your waist hand if it has to be. But but how many of you are? How many of you worry? How many of you were worried that I'd ask you to raise your hand today? Okay, all right. They... <laughs> See, we, we worry. And, and those of you that are graduating from high school, I, I want to tell you something that's not a secret. Young adults worry all the time. They worry about, is my major what it should be? What will I do with my life? Can I get a job if I do this? Can I live on my own? Will I always have to depend on my parents? Will I find anyone who will want to marry me? And will I marry the right person? You worry all the time about this and a myriad of other things. But guess what? Do you know who worries more than young adults? Their parents. Of course. Their parents worry. Will they be okay? Is their dormitory safe? Is the military barracks they're going to go into a healthy place? Will they marry the right person? Will they find the right person? Can they even get a job with that major? If they can't keep their room clean, how possibly can they keep a job situation? Will they be moving back here sometime soon? Now, now, now hold on. I, I want to tell you, it's going to get real in here real fast right now. Check out that slide. Worry. That's the reality. Worry is a subtle form of distrust in God. I know some of you are saying, ow! And some of you, besides somebody else that just poked you, poke them right back. I saw that. <laughs> when believers worry, we really are saying, those of you that are graduating, you're going to go sit in dormitories and military barracks, and you're going to have jobs that you're out you know, learning how to become an adult in and stuff like that. When believers worry, what we really are saying is that we don't completely trust God for our lives. We don't completely trust that God will give us everything that we need. We even doubt that God cares or can handle our situation. And I got to tell you, when you're worrying about whether God can can take care of you or not, you're going to fall into paralysis. You're going to fall into helplessness, and and you're going to fall into some really difficulties. And Paul gives the antidote. And not surprisingly, God, the antidote to worry that Paul gives is prayer. I'm not giving lip service to this. You're entering into one of the most impactful stages of your life. That's true of anybody. You know what? Wherever you're at right now, right now, today, you're entering in or a part of one of the most impactful stages of your life. Take the antidote. Take the antidote. It's offered to you. 
The antidote by, is offered to you by God to whatever stage of life you're in, and the antidote is prayer. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is rewritten by Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message, says this. I love this rewriting. I don't typically read from the message because I like to stay with you know, true biblical translations, not someone's interpretation of what the Bible says. But here's what Peterson wrote. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Take the antidote with Christ by your side. Get clear about what a big deal you are to him. Nothing is too great for God's power. Nothing too small for his fatherly care. You know, you have to understand that. There's a lot of us here that are dads or that will rise to become dads. And and we use this image in the Christian church of God as our loving father and a caring father. Maybe that doesn't work for everyone. But let me explain to you how how this works. When we talk about nothing being too great for God's power and nothing too small for his fatherly care, we, we use a human example, and I'm not putting myself as father of the year or anything like that, but you have to understand this about my children. If my children, both of which happen to be females, come to me and say, Dad, I have this huge thing I need to talk to you about. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I'm not sure about who I want to get married to. She has my complete and total attention with this huge thing. And if she comes to me with a very small thing like, Dad, can you teach me how to drive a standard transmission automobile? She has my complete attention too. And if a human father, says Jesus, can give us that kind of attention, imagine the, imagine the attention our Heavenly Father gives us. We sometimes think, hey, what we've got going on in our life is too small for God. And God tells us that nothing's too great, nothing's too small to bring to me in prayer. He is the antidote. Take every single thing, every piece of your life to God in prayer and turn your worries into prayer. A guy named M.R. Vincent said, peace is the fruit of believing prayer. When I left high school and went into my college years, I happened to go on to college after I I went to high school, I will tell you that my prayer life accelerated. No longer did I have the prayer life of Mona and Lowell to shadow me. No longer did I have their faith to push me on. I had to figure out life on my own. I had to find my own way. I prayed more in my dorm room in probably the first, in the four years I was in college than I did the first 18 years of my life combined. Because no longer were I worried about, you know, I, I was concerned about what was going to happen and what impact I was going to have on the world. And I really didn't know what way to go. And I had to listen to God. And I took the freedom that God provided to allow me to be who he, who he wanted me to be. And I encourage you to take that same freedom. Now, lastly, because I want to bless these, these seniors, so I'm going to speed up real fast. One of the coolest things about the adult world, you know what it is, Krista? One of the coolest things about the adult world, choice. You got choice now. Choice is all around you. No one's going to make you do or be anything anymore. Adults, we know that. No one can make you really do anything. They can encourage you. They can coach you. But no one can make you do or be anything anymore. You are accountable for yourself. And let me tell you, Pastor Keith and I are clear about this. We're not going to be in your dorms. We're not going to be in your barracks. We're not going to be at your job site. And you know the message straight from the Bible that we have been preaching to you over and over again, that we preach to children, that we preach to youth, and we preach to adults. And this is it. Get your minds right and keep your mind straight. Keep your mind, get your mind right and keep your mind 
right. See, if you get your right mental and spiritual fuel from sources like church, sources like the Bible, sources like the prayers of the people, sources like the traditions that we're in, you'll have your mind right. And then your job is to keep it right and to keep fueling it all the time. You see, adults, we watch the news all all the time, and and it tells us to let go of some of those truths. You guys, you watch stuff on the internet, you watch lectures, you watch, you, you watch stuff that goes on in your drill, and it tells you to kind of let go of all this. But I'm telling you this, get your mind right and keep it right. Because there's this simple law of life. If you think about something enough, often enough, and long enough, you will come to the stage where you can't think about anything else. We had a college student, uh, not from these pews, not too long ago. And all they could think about was partying. All they could think about was drinking. And guess what? They've got a horrible problem with drinking. I had a kid from one of our services a few weeks ago talk to me about one of her friends in college. And this friend of hers has this huge problem. All she thinks about is pornography. And click, click, click on her computer to sites all over the internet about pornography. And guess what? That's all she can think about. She's got a huge problem. See, if you put your mind on something long enough, eventually it's going to come center stage in life. But I'll tell you, there's some good news out there too. Because we've got a college student that just finished classes last week. You know, and he came up through the church, got the traditions of the church, got the summer games thing, got all his, his life around Jesus Christ. And guess what? He goes to weekly Bible study, he tells me. He reads his U version off his, uh, of the Bible off his cell phone every morning. He worships with a group of friends every Wednesday night. And guess what? His mind is kept right because he's keeping God in center stage, center focus of his life. You've got to get your mind right and keep your mind right and set your mind on the right things. And here's what Paul says at the end. He says, set your mind on the right things. Set your mind on things that are true, the eternal things of God. Set your mind on things that are just. Give yourself fully and completely to God. Set your minds on things that are pure. There is a lot of junk out there. There's a lot of shabby, sordid, smutty stuff out there in the world, things to think about. And if you put your tent up in that soil, that's where it's going to stay. But the Christian thinks of pure things, things that are fit to God to be a part of. They don't all have to be biblical things. There's a lot of huge, great things that God has given us in this world to think about that are holy and pure and righteous. And think of things of praise. Think highly of God in your life and lift him high in your life all the way through. And live in a way, and this is to your personal ethic, you guys that are graduating. Live with such a high ethic in your life that other people put you up. Because when they put you up, they raise God up in the world. And that's important for all of us. If you keep your mind right, and keep your mind on the right things. I tell you for this, to be sure, it's going to be a great life for you and for us.